Once in a while, the music industry suffers a great tragedy. Greatness taken away from the world in one foul swoop. Tragedies like this unite the music industry as one. And when Whitney Houston covered this song, it was one of those tragedies. So as a tribute, we give you the Massive Attack Podcast Cover Version Special Edition. Welcome to episode 4 of New Hope of Massive Attack. That's right, we're back again. This time, we're going to attack cover versions. So with me, Mitch is joining me as always, Joe. Hey Mitch, how you going? Not too bad. So, you're probably wondering why we're doing an episode about cover versions. Well, just cast your mind back to last month when we were doing our show about Chew and Day Tripper. We were sitting around working on show notes for last month's show. Well, you were working on show notes. I was thinking, oh, it'd be cool if we put Day Tripper over the credits. But we don't want to use the Beatles version. I'll find you another version. Cut to two hours later, I'm still <laughs> listening to different versions on iTunes. Yeah, so we kind of got to thinking that if there's that many versions of Day Trip, there must be lots of other versions of other songs. And you actually did some Googling and found that the Beatles are the most covered. Yeah, I can't remember band. if they said hey it was or something, wasn't yesterday, maybe? So we're going to dedicate this whole episode to cover versions. We are going to play a fair bit of audio tracks in this, covers that we think are noteworthy. Noteworthy for being good and bad <laughs> yes. and what the fuck. Exactly. Yes. Now, we did have a little bit of feedback on last month's show about the audio quality being a little bit less than perfect. We are trialling a new setup here, and hopefully it will sound a little bit better than the last show. So, usual comment, if you have any problems with the show, drop us a line, drop us a, a Twitter, because we don't know these things unless people tell us. Yeah, housekeeping aside, let's go back to the idea that there's a lot of versions of Day Tripper. Just to give you a bit of an idea, we used the Sergio Mendes version last month in the show, but there's also... This quality one from Nancy Sinatra. So far, so good. It's, it sounds enough like the original. It's new enough. It's not reinventing the genre. It's just a bit of funky. I don't mind. Yeah. A lot of people really bag this version, but to me it's not a bad version. And here's Sergio's that we used last month. Oh, this, this plays up to my Latin sensibilities, because obviously, deep down, I am a Latin Lothario. Yes, because everyone knows Mitchell is a Latin name. <laughs> but yeah, this is, again, sort Sergio. And then we look at some of the bad versions of Day Tripper. This would be a live version from Typo Negative, who are a bit of a, a goth metal band, I guess you'd call them. Well, they're playing with the form, they're experimenting. Oh, I can give that a little bit of bit of leeway. And then another band that we found a lot of while we were looking at uh, Beatles covers is a band called Beatallica, who kind of merge Beatles songs with Metallica songs. So would you call it a cover? Yeah, it still works. Yeah, right, that's a fair enough. And as you can see, it's not actually Metallica, but he does do a pretty good interpretation of James Hetfield's vocals. So do I. Well, not, oh, not vocals, just looking like James Hetfield. <laughs> Latin James Hetfield. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Latin James Hetfield. And so we'll just wind that down a little bit, I guess. Or just so turn it off completely. <laughs> turn it off completely. So... For those people that don't know, and if you don't know what a cover version is, I guess you've probably been living under a rock for 
your whole life. But definition-wise, cover version would be someone re-recording a song that's not necessarily a hit for someone else, but being recorded by somebody It's a re-record of an established song. Exactly, a remake. Well, some aren't remakes. I mean, some people cover songs and they don't change a thing. But originally back... Earliest we could find were around the 60s, 50s and 60s. Well, I think they were around a little bit earlier than that, but at that stage, everyone was recording well-known songs. They weren't really recording their own pieces. Yep, so basically around your 50s, 60s, you had singles were becoming popular, the radio was popular, and, and that trend of selling music yep. came out. And what happened was something that was big in England... Instead of taking that version of the song over to America, they just have someone in America record it. And because it's a smaller community back then, you didn't have the global or the national broadcasty sort of thing. Yeah. You, you could almost do it regional. You could have, oh, in Tennessee, no one's heard of this song. I'm going to record this version. Hopefully get it out there before someone else does and become a hit. Well, you use Tennessee as an example, but Australia was like that. It was like Australian artists were around the 60s recording versions of popular songs from England that hadn't made it out to Australia. Yeah, Johnny O'Keefe started doing that sort exactly. of Exactly, Johnny O'Keefe. You had Poison Ivy was a big hit for Billy Thorpe, and that was a cover of an English song. You had... It was uh, Daryl Cotton's band that were doing covers of Beatles songs. Daryl Cotton from the early bit show. Yeah, yeah, well, that Daryl Cotton. Again, it was like... People in those days were quite au fait at copying someone else's song. I mean, and this may come of a shock. It was a bit of a shock to me, some of it, but the Beatles, a lot of their early songs were covers. Elvis was a lot of well, covers. Exactly. And I guess in those days, too, it wasn't necessarily artists themselves that were coming up with the idea of recording covers. It was a lot to do with the record companies, because let's use record company X, where making money with a song by this artist sort of thing. So record company Y would come along and say, well, people have bought that record. Why don't we just have this person record a version of it so we can earn some money too and that's basically how the covers came about from then it emerged into what we have now whereas a lot of people will do a cover because they like the song and they want to do their interpretation of it or you have you know just you know more up-and-coming bands that learn to play songs by playing other people's songs and as a way of the launching pad or a stepping stone yeah they break in by you know this song let's do a version of this and then people will know who we are and there is quite a few bands that have sprung onto the scene with a cover as their first hit yes well another thing though is there are covers out there that people don't even know that are covers let's play a little bit of a track here this would be Jimi Hendrix all on the watchtower most people that know Jimi Hendrix would probably know his version of the song yes and a lot of people probably wouldn't know that it was a cover well yeah I mean I never had a clue but I'm not a huge yeah I don't know a lot about Hendrix, so I just know this version. I never had an idea it was a Bob Dylan song. Well, I I knew that Bob Dylan wrote it, but I didn't actually know that Bob Dylan recorded it himself. So a little bit of Jimmy here, and we'll go into a a bit of what Bob Dylan's interpretation, I guess, or his own song was. No, it is an interpretation. Yeah. And I must say that there is a lot of versions of Bob Dylan's song. And Bob Dylan is a bloody good songwriter. Not sure if Bob Dylan is a good singer, and that will probably be a little bit controversial. No, I mean, it's all about the songwriting. But yeah, Bob Dylan, very good songwriter. Now, the 80s, I guess, were a big time for covers. For us. For us. Got to, we are children of the 80s, born in the 70s, basically our Teenagers brain, our you know, spongy brains absorb personally a lot of stuff in the 80s, so that's our... I'm sure the 70s is chock full of it. It's oh, just, I'm sure I, it is too. My parents' bad music tastes, you know, I got a lot of Dottie West and Kenny Rogers, so... <laughs> Didn't really get a lot of covers. Probably were, but I don't really remember them. But the 80s is sort of where I was exposed to a lot of music and finding out 
a lot of those are covers too. Most people probably know this song. So Mickey by Tony Basil. Yeah. A lot of people might hate the song. A lot of people probably do hate the song. I know I do. (laughs) (laughs) So this is quite a big hit for Tony Basil back in the early 80s. However, this in fact is actually a cover of a racy song from 1979. Racy, as in some girls. As in some girls. Well, there you go, they had another song. Yeah, they had a couple of songs, but I think this was actually a B-side. So she has changed the word slightly. She's changed it from Kitty to Mickey. And I guess done it from a girl's perspective rather than a boy's perspective, but a cover nonetheless. Like Tiffany, when she did, I saw him standing there. Yeah, of I thought you were going to say, I think I'm a clone now. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, big hit for Tony Basil, Mickey. Also a cover. Now, girls just want to have fun. Cindy Lauper. Right, who covered this? Well, a lot of people have covered it. But this, in fact, is actually a cover of no. a very little-known oh, New Wave song. You're just breaking my world here. By a chap called Robert Hazard. Oh, Robert Hazard? Yeah. He was a duke, wasn't he? I think he might have been one of the dukes. But yeah. Um, Cindy Lauper, icon of the 80s, started her career with a cover. And here we go, a little bit of Robert Hazard's version. Yeah. Is this girls just want to have fun as well? It is girls just want to have fun. You're talking about his dad in there as well? Well, yeah. But I think he's more saying that he's hanging out with girls that want to have fun, whereas Cindy is the girl that wants to have fun. I can associate with Mr. Heather here then. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. None of them are any patch on the Miley Cyrus version of girls just want to have fun. Just a personal taste. But then, you know, other 80s classics we've got Venus by Bananarama which is a cover of uh, Swedish band Shocking Blue I did I did know that was a cover yeah as we said we we were both teenagers in the 80s we were both sort of just getting into music and Bananarama had Hot girls. Well, in, exactly. Bananarama had everything that a, girl, a young devil girl would out, want. Leather, devil outfits and stuff. I do remember the film clip. The, quite the well. video was pretty good. Yeah. Oh, Quality Australian like. band Pseudo Echo. Now, just for those who are in the know, we are in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, so Funky <laughs> Town by Pseudo Echo are northern suburb bands exactly. from Eltham. So, big shout out to Brian Cannon and the, the boys. Local boys. <laughs> Pierre, Pierre on keyboards. <laughs> what are he's doing now? Oh, yes. you got the original? I don't have the original, no. but it was we by Lip, Lips Inc. Lips Inc. Yes. As in Lips Inc. or Lips Inc. Lips Inc. As in Lips Incorporated. As you're looking out there. Now this, I must say, this is my first discovery of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I, I didn't know it was a cover. And it was just like, where the hell did the band come from? This is awesome. And I never really followed the band. I mean, I obviously knew what they were doing, but I never went and bought any albums after this because nothing, to me, for a long time caught up to this song. This was just an awesome song back in 87-ish? Yeah, around about late maybe. high school for me, I think. But yeah. yeah, and it was just like, where did this song go? And this is awesome. Then I find out it's a bloody Stevie Wonder song. Yeah. And then probably one of the most well-known covers of the 80s would be the Pet Shop Boys with their interpretation of Always on the Mind. Yes, Elvis. Well, it's not actually oh. It was originally done by a girl by the name of Brenda Lee who pretty much didn't do much else other than Always on my Mind and had a few rockabilly albums later in the 60s but started off 
almost a child star really in the early 60s. But then as she grew older, her popularity waned for some reason. But yeah, Pet Shop Boys done a very good version of this. They've done a few songs themselves, well, haven't they? They've done, I guess they did Go Rest, which was a cover of Village People. Village song. People, yes, yes. Yeah, and had that moving out to San Francisco with the gay community sort of feel to it. Pet Shop Boys doing gay community songs, strange. Oh, did you think it was about cowboys and Indians? Yeah. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe we should look that up. And I think they did a very bad version of a U2 song, didn't they, where the streets have no name? Mm, wow. Yeah. Depends on your opinion of well. U2, really. <laughs> is it a, a good version of a bad U2 song or is it a bad version of a U2 song? Anyway. Or is it just a bad song? Well, speaking of bad covers from the 80s, Australia's own Jason Donovan did this very bad version as well. Again, this is all subjective. <laughs> you know. You're overly critical of the Donovan. Now, for some reason in the 80s, a lot of people were doing covers of 60s songs. Because it's kind of like... It's very cyclical. I think it's 20 years. Yeah, I think it is 20 years. Because the 90s, the 70s became popular again. Yeah, so I think it's always going to be that. So you're getting Smells Like Teen Spirit being covered by Miley. You're getting Fergie doing... Guns and Guns Roses, Roses and things yeah. like that. So that 20-year cycle is still happening. It seems to be getting shorter. You're getting songs like within five years now, someone bringing out another version of those Well, songs. I think it's because people's attention spans are getting shorter. I guess... And oh, look, a bird. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the, the thing is, it's like singles... I mean, if you look at the charts now versus 20 years ago and you look at the people in the charts, I always use the argument, where's Phil Collins now? Exactly. Where's your equivalent to Phil Collins? Where's the 40-year-old bald... Ugly man. You know, you just don't get it. You don't get that mediocre-looking guy with talent. They're all abs of steel, good-looking, and can dance. You know, it's a package as opposed to talent. Yeah. So the people who buy music, and has been since the 50s, are your teenagers. Yeah. And you've got a package to those teenagers. So with the covers, like, teenagers don't know... 10-year-old songs sometimes. 20-year, definitely. So you've always got a new market to a lot of these songs. Unless you pull out a Beatles cover or something where people know the Beatles, it's sort of ubiquitous around the world. But if you pull out a a weird song like that Kitty that no one really knows of, who knows that? Even even 10 years, you probably wouldn't even know what that was. So it's very interesting that way how it works and the cycles and if you can pick it and see it and see what is coming into prominence out there. Yeah, well, going from the for the 80s into the 90s, we got into the stage where people were kind of doing covers, but they were really interpreting the song differently. Oomphing it up a little bit. And, I mean, it's also, I guess, with music, people weren't buying singles as much in the 90s. It was all sort of kind of changing a little bit. Dance remixes were sort of coming into vogue and playing in the clubs. Exactly. And I think dance clubs, when, I don't know, I was early 20s, late teens going to dance clubs in the, the early 90s. And you would hear a song that takes a little rip from another song that you might have known when you were a kid. And it was kind of like nostalgia. But again, is it a cover or is it a sample? Well, we'll let you be the judge of that. We want well, to acknowledge these, but my... My 90s experience, I was going to goth clubs and retro <laughs> clubs. So I was hearing all the 80s stuff anyway and some very interesting interpretations of other songs, yes. which may get a Guernsey Well, well let's just Well, let's just have a look at something that was pretty big. This is more late 90s. This would be Jason Nevins and Run DMC. I personally wouldn't call this a cover. I just wanted to play it, so I called <laughs> it a cover.
again, every time I hear this, I just think of the video. So obviously they did something right with the marketing of that video. Yes. But, yeah. Check this out. <laughs> so, yes. To me, remix, probably, not a cover. Now, we've got other examples. This would be Bustop's Country Fighter. And on some listings where you see this song, they do call it Bustop featuring Carl Douglas, who was the original artist that did Country Fighter. But again, they've this just This is taken, definitely a cover. Well, this is not just, a sample. Well, is it a sample or is it a cover? I would call it a sample because they've just sampled the chorus and his chanty vocal and they've put a very bad rap over the top of it. There's enough of the original there for yes. me for W. Again, we're, we're the same sort of thing. We've got T-shirt, you sexy thing. I don't even know what this song's about. I just know the film clip for T-shirt were pretty damn special. But then, watching the video when I was getting this clip off YouTube yesterday... They're wearing a lot more clothes than they do in videos these days. If they do it well. She was in a pantsuit. <laughs> and a very nice pantsuit at that. And like the songs are cyclical, fashion is cyclical too, we might get pantsuits back in some film clips soon. Well, hopefully we will. Or we need Beyonce in a pantsuit. I'm sure she's done it. Now, this is probably one of the standout dance songs of the 90s, which would be Entrance, Staying Alive. Yeah, we'll get a cover. Are the I words think, the same? No. Ah. It's basically just the chorus from the Bee Gees staying alive. Then I'd say it's a sample. I think it's a sample. Mm. But it's a pretty good sample of that. A damn good sample. <laughs> See, to me, that's purely a sample. Now, now speaking of samples, this yeah. would be German Danzac Scooter. No one did a white trench coat like Scooter. <laughs> or yelled random things <laughs> yes. at the starts of songs. To me, this is definitely a sample because they've just taken the chorus of the classic Super Tramp song, Logical Song, and said, Good morning. Yes. Because nothing says hardcore dance act like a man in a big white trench coat yelling out, Good morning. Good morning. At least he's polite. He is. I'm assuming he's thinking it's late at night in a club and it's after 12, but, you know, maybe he thinks there's a lot of morning dancers out there, or aerobics classes. Exactly. I don't know, he's covering a few bases there. Covers come in all shapes and sizes. They do. And the certain genres of music, you find a lot more covers than others. Yes, well, I mean, dance 90s prove that there's a lot of, well, not dance acts, but you can easily grab bits and pieces and throw a beat behind it. And exactly. There you You've go. Got... You've got the familiarity of this song that people know, and it's got the beat that you, you want to hear now, and bang, all of a sudden you've got a hit. Yeah. And it's playing on the clubs. But another one that's sort of, like, well, you hear the opening credits to our show, we've got ska music playing, so we're, you, you might be able to figure out that we like our ska music, and ska seems to translate quite well to a cover in, in the reinterpretation sort of way, where you can grab a song, put a ska beat or tune behind uh, yeah, it. Yeah, add and, some horns, I guess, and funk it up with a bit of bass. And all of a sudden you've got a, and you you get know, a new version of a song. Yeah, you get something like this. So this would be uh, Safe Ferris with a cover of the Dexys Midnight Runners song Come On Eileen. I mean, Come On Eileen had a bit of a scar vibe to it already. Yeah, I guess it did. But it's, you know, got that more horn sound. 
And the chick vocal makes a big difference. Exactly. It's, yeah. I think the girl vocal does change the mood of the song. And definitely the saxophones help. So I think this next one is one of your favourites, isn't it? This would be... It is. Well, I'm, I'm a big Queen fan, so... Oh, sorry. I thought you were saying you're a big Queen. That too. <laughs> but um, big Queen fan. So when someone does it right, I'm quite happy. And when it's you mix Scar and Queen and it works, I'm, I'm very happy. So the Vandals actually came out with Don't Stop Me Now. But I, I think you've got to be a fan first of Queen to appreciate so. the song. Like, if I just played this to anyone who didn't know any, it's just a, oh, yeah, whatever. But it's very, very good loud. Yes. When you're driving, it makes you spit a little bit. And this would be one of those covers where they know it's a cover, and with the video clip for it, he dresses up as Freddie Mercury in the video as well, which I think adds to the, the flavour of it. It's an acknowledgement. I mean, there is um, Electric Six went off and did a cover of Queen song and... Dressed up as yeah, Freddie Mercury. And I, I like Electric Six, like their gay bar and um, high voltage, Danger. Good songs, really like it. And when I read that they did a cover of the Queen and it's like, oh, this would be awesome. And unfortunately, no, no, it did not translate well at all. So go and Google that, people. Um, yes. YouTube, it's all there. Radio Gaga by Electric Six. Yes. Mm. But uh, yeah, YouTube's definitely our friend because we've managed to find quite a few songs on YouTube for our collections here. Just going back to that Don't Stop Me Now, it just reminds me of when we went to Northgate that time and there was that stop sign and someone's actually <laughs> written Don't Me Now on top yes. of the stop sign. We might put that in the show notes. I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll send that photo. I did take a photo of it. Cause and every it. time I go past that stop sign, I actually think of the Vandals version of that song <laughs> rather than the Queen version. Yes. Mm. Now, there's some sort of concept, guys, out there that take these songs and do it. Now, there's a super group called Me First and the Gimme Gimmies who is... I think it's Fat Mike from NoFX was the main guy. Mm. And pretty much a revolving door of other punk musicians. Yeah, and what they do is they go out and pull mainstream songs, like almost yacht rock songs or things like that, and give it a heavy metal take. Or punk take. Yes. And they... Well, basically, they are only a cover band. Obviously, they're all a conglomerate of other punk bands, so when they're off doing their own thing, they're quite happy to play their originals. But they'll get together and they will record and they will play live and they will do covers of a genre, such as this classic by Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. And again, this just makes me think of Abigail. As in the movie. Oh, yes. Not this particular version, but uh, yeah. Now, me first and the Gimme Gimme's have probably got about six or seven albums, so it was quite a hard choice to find. I like Mandy, their Barry Manilow cover their, myself. Their cover of Mandy is pretty good, and I like their version of uh, One Tin Soldier from Billy Jack. Don't even know the original. Oh, it was a musical. I'm surprised you don't know it. Really? Hmm. Yeah, so that's their version. And we've also got... One of our favourites, Robic Fish, who, as Mitch says, does our theme music for us. Which is very nice of them. Yeah. We asked them to come in, <laughs> they gave it a go. Now, this is one of those examples of how a cover came about, because this was for the basketball soundtrack, for the movie Basketball. And for a lot of people, it was the first time they heard of Robic Fish. Probably me, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting that they do a cover on a movie soundtrack and it got them a bit of exposure. But also for us, it's it's getting into our age period where 
the original song is us in the teens and as we mature with music and we sort of get there these bands are covering the same songs we grew up with so it's sort of like oh that's my song done again but a more mature version of that song because i'm more mature now if you want to call punk and ska mature but there's still it's growing with us yeah so these songs are more in line exactly you know they resonate with us a lot better yeah it's that whole pop culture. It's like when you're a kid, you, you like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then when you're an adult, you know, they re-release the figures, so you go and buy them sort of thing. Well, maybe that's just Chris. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Heads up to you, Chris. Um, now, speaking of punk, we've got, like, one of the pioneers of punk, which would be the Dead Kennedys doing their version of the Elvis classic Viva Las Vegas. And this is a good example of a cover where they slightly changed the words. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I just talked over it. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. I, I don't know what the actual real Elvis line is, but I don't think Elvis refers to taking speed while he's singing about it. But I'm sure that's what he meant. <laughs> it's definitely it's a great energy in that song. Considering well, that song is, what, 25 years old, it still and, sounds fresh. Yeah, exactly. And even the original actually sounds quite fresh, the Elvis version. Yeah. <clears throat> so to take that step from punk and ska, the sort of next genre that does its own homages or covers is metal, that does its own unique takes on certain things. Yeah, but it's not uncommon for metal bands to cover other metal band songs. Like Metallica started off with their Garage Inc. where they did... They even did Queen song. They did a cover of Queen Stone Cold Crazy and they did Merciful Fate and they did, yeah, stuff like that. Whiskey in the Jar. Yeah, well, that's an Irish traditional song, Whiskey in the Jar. It's still a cover. Almost made the list of my favourite covers, but Mm. uh, yeah. But so, yeah, metal covers of metal songs aren't that uncommon. With the emergence of new metal in the late 90s, early 2000s. Again, establishing our music taste is sort of like coming through here <laughs> the onset of new metal we started to get new metal covers of pop songs and one of the ones that really springs to mind would be this one here by alien ant farm yes now this divides a lot of people i think there's the purest michael jackson fans that really hate this song but for me i think this is one of the best examples of a new metal cover and the video was fun. good. It was, it was all good. Yeah. It was all fun. It's a great version of the song. It is a great version of the song. And and I think with Michael Jackson and with people like the Beatles and ABBA, yeah. they're all covered well. And I think it's because they are such beautifully, easily, well not easily, but simple songs. They are, they are very technically simple. Yeah. But they are so easy and so good to cover, and the melodies and the hooks and everything are just perfect for interpretation. Yeah. They're not and complicated, and yeah, so you can go and turn it into a new metal song or turn it into a disco hit or any of these sort of things. Yeah. Now, one of the other great new metal covers would be this one by Orgy. Unfortunate name for a band, I guess, but this is quite a good cover. Are they really metal? I don't know. Are they metal? I don't know how to Maybe they are hardcore too. But they're good. I mean, the original song is a classic. I think every iPod should come with this as a standard on every iPod. But, you know, that's just me. Yes, but, but then again, we are that age group and that, I guess, target for New Order. We were around that time and go to those sort of clubs that would play that sort of alternative sort of dancey stuff. Yep, and it's like, oh, we need a little extra kick in the late 90s. Yes. Here it is for you. Thank you, Audrey. And um, one of my faves, 
takes me back to my days clubbing at Abyss at a golf club, hearing the very nice version, beautiful version of Do You Think I'm Sexy by the Revolting Cox. It's, uh, again, I could probably not play this to anyone now, but <laughs> if I go back 20 years to my, you know, 20 year old self and play this, I was loving this shit. Exactly. And this is, I guess, is another example of where they slightly changed the lyrics to suit them. Just a slight change. Because I don't think Rod Stewart was actually singing about KY Jelton. I'm sure he was thinking it. <laughs> Probably. Mm. Oh, that's my puppy shirt, Dave. Yes. And that sort of looky at your hand dance. Oh, we've got three step. Yes. Now, the next one is, again, another personal favourite of mine. Yes, the famous LL Cool J song, Mama Said Knock You Out. And Def Rhyme, the local Australian band, did a cover for their album as their first single release. Again, they've gone the cover angle. and, well, and they, They've gone a good way because a complete genre changed to go a metal version of a, of a hip-hop song. True. It wasn't that old a song. It would have been, from memory, probably three or four years yeah, old not long before when they did it. But I don't think L.A. Paul J was super huge over here. It was known without being... And this song probably was was on the soundtrack for The Hard Way. I remember that. And yeah, Def Run pulled out a cover, which made me excited. And this would be another one where they've taken a song that was popular probably when they were younger. So this is Disturbed's version of the Tears for Fear song, Shout. And they've given it their own little tweaks, but... I mean, they haven't really done a lot to the song, to be honest. He's got his metal vocals. And that's about it. Now, we had good examples of metal covers. This would be a bad example of a metal cover. I I like this song. (laughs) I recommended this to you as a good song, and you put in a bad list. I don't know if I like that. So this would be Godhead with their version of Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles, obviously. If you do do a search, um, the Beatles do have a lot of various versions. There is even a dog version of the Beatles. It's it's called, uh, what is it? The Beatle Barkers. Beatle Barkers, yes. And it's, yeah, it's just all... Beatles songs done by barking dogs, which is no music though. It's just barking dogs. <laughs> well, they're acapella groups. I don't know. Can you imagine the clean up in the studio after they recorded that? Uh, it's it's probably a was... for someone. <laughs> it definitely was a steaming pile of dog shit. <laughs> now yeah. this this has got so many levels to me. This is H blocks the power. Now, not only is it a new metal song, which I was sort of into at the time. It's got Snaps the Power, which I did like in its day, plus the background has the, what do you call it, the chanting from the Booyah Tribe in Faith No More's Another Body Murdered, which is one of my all-time favourite songs, so it's just like this perfect mesh, which I never thought would all come together uh, into this great, well, I think it's a great song, (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people out there don't agree with me, but yeah, it's one of my faves. Yeah. We've got some new metal pioneers here, I guess. This would be Corn and their version of Another Brick in the Wall. So far, not that different. I guess the guitar's quite a bit heavier. Another Brick in the Wall, when Pink Floyd did it, they split it up over a couple of different songs with gaps in between on the Wall concept album, whereas... Corn have actually released this as a full seven and a half minute version of 
Another brick in the wall, part one, two, and three. And we're going to let you listen to one. No, 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 no. And another new metal pioneer would be Limp Biscuit. Now, yes. we could play their version of Faith. Which is shite. Which isn't that bad compared to their version it's of the Who herpes. classic. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like as our friend Joel once said, would you prefer a kick in the balls or a punch in the balls? <laughs> so we're going to play Limp Biscuit's version of the Who classic Behind Blue Eyes. Which I don't know why they need to have this voice to text or text to voice strange talking of Limp Bizkit. I don't mind this song only because I don't really know the original terribly well, so it was no big deal. But I prefer this to their version of Faith. I say I prefer Faith to this, but yeah. then I like the original Who version. And the nerd in me actually likes it when Giles sang it on Buffy once as well. Huge. <laughs> Get rid of this. I'm over it. All right. Kill off Limp Biscuit. Now, again, this was in my... When I sent you a list of good songs, you went and put in the bag. Well, you sent me a list of songs you wanted me to find for the podcast. You didn't actually say what you thought was good or bad. You knew my opinion of this. (laughs) Now, all right, there's some people out there who even cover themselves. I'll bring out... Guru Josh did it. Yes. He bought out a new version of 1990 Time for the Guru. The Cure did it on their second greatest hits album. They did a a different remix of Close to Me. Mm. wasn't very good. And... Vanilla Ice likes to reinvent himself. Like, he obviously had Ice Ice Baby back in 1990. And, you know, when Cypress Hill and bands like that were out, he sort of reinvented himself into sort of stoner rap, which no one cared about. And then late 90s, he reinvented himself into a new metal sort of band, which, again, no one cared about. But I managed to track it down somehow. I found it, and he... He, he did a cover of his own song, Ice Ice Baby, but in the late 90s style of new metal. And I really like it. And you hate it. And you probably are justified. Yes. I had trouble finding this because I was looking up under Vanilla Ice. But he actually released this under his real name, Rob Van Winkle. Rob Van Winkle. So maybe he was a little bit ashamed of being Vanilla Ice. <laughs> Loving it. Glad to hear you are bopping along to the Vanilla Ice. And now he's flipping houses. Exactly. Now he's on the English version of Dancing on Ice and he's got his own reality show where he renovates homes. Everything's coming up ice. It is. Actually, now that you've said it, I will say that it's not as bad as I originally remembered it. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a punch in the balls. (laughs) It is still a punch in the balls. Now, speaking of punches in the balls... (laughs) If there was one alternative metal person that was around in the late 90s, early 2000s... An icon, almost? Yes. Someone who iconically deserved to be punched in the balls. (laughs) That person would be Marilyn Manson. Well, because he's covering Alice Cooper's stick. Not only is he covering Alice Cooper's stick, (laughs) he's doing it in a strange David Bowie androgynous kind of way. And a lot of people probably like Beautiful People. I do. It was a good song. They probably like The Dope Show. That was quite a good song off his second album. So they probably like some songs. I know if I'm in a club and they play Beautiful People loudly with the right atmosphere, it's good. However, Marilyn Manson would be what we call a repeat offender as far as doing shit A recidivist? You do and you clean it up yourself. (laughs) So let's have a look at or listen at some of his offences. Now we'll start with the not so bad cover. Admittedly alright now we are getting to an older age bracket where we remember the original. Well 
So a lot of the Manson fans at the time were a lot younger than us, so their Depeche Mode knowledge would be limited, and this would have been a revelation to them. I'll acknowledge well, that. This would be one of those covers that was probably only, what, 10 years after Depeche Mode came out? Late mm, 90s? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. One of Marilyn Manson's first songs was this cover of The Eurythmics' Sweet Dreams. This is bad only because I don't, I don't like Eurythmics, well, so it's hard to... Nobody like likes big... the Eurythmics. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But again, he slowed it down. He turned it's atmospheric, it... I'll give it that. And it was very nihilistic of its time. I, I know that was what the late 90s were. And he was typing, tipping, really... Nirvana was gone. Yeah. That whole grunge scene was finished. So the, where were all the nihilists going? Where were they getting their music? He totally tapped into what was going on at the time. And that sort of stuff just works. I mean, I, I get why it wasn't working for me. Like, beautiful people I love, but... And this is just a, an abomination. Well, again... Again, is... we knew the original... We, we didn't know but. the original. We know the soft cell version. Yes. From when we were you know, younger. Well, which again is, <laughs> yeah, which again is a cover itself. But most people would know the soft cell version and think of that as the original version of Painted Love. But then Marilyn Manson did nasty things to Painted Love with this one. He did. And again, this is from a movie. This is from Not Another Teen Movie. Yeah. Which, I like that movie. Yeah, it's a really good movie, like but there's song. some there's some bad songs on the on the soundtrack album. Yeah, so there you go. You're on notice, Marilyn Manson. You've yes. got potential. You've got talent. We've seen it. Either yeah. stick to originals, or you're on notice. Yes, <laughs> massive you've, attack. <laughs> you've been warned. Okay, now, all right. He's a repeat offender, a recidivist of the bad. There are some guys or some people out there who have have done well by going off and covering other people. Yeah, one of those people would be Tom Jones. Well, yeah, he reinvented himself in the late 90s, early 2000s. Well, it was even probably in the 80s where Art of Noise decided that they wanted to bring Tom Jones in to be the guest vocalist for their version of Kiss, which was the... the uh, 80s? Yeah, which is the, the Prince song. Again, Prince, like those classic Abbas and Beatles... Very simple, iconic melodies that just translate beautifully to other interpretations. And really, Tom Jones hasn't changed his style at all here. They've just changed, I guess, the music that's behind it. Mm. He's still got his traditional sort of crooner, sexy voice. Now, I don't know how the kids would like this now, but I think it still holds up. It's quite cool. Yeah, well, another one that Tom Jones did is... Tom Jones actually released an album... I think he's released a couple of albums that are basically him and bands that he likes doing covers. And one of the ones that really stands out would be Tom and the Cardigans doing this version of the Talking Heads. Talking Heads. This just makes me think of Revenge of the Nerd. Exactly. <laughs> there's just something about Tom Jones's voice. It's an energy. It's something. Come on, Tom, it's been too long. I don't know if you're too old to do this anymore, but give us one more. Well, he then did release a, a second album of cover versions. And he got together with the Bare Naked Ladies and did this version of Little Green Bag, Little Green Bag by George Baker Selection that most people would know from Reservoir the start Dogs. of Reservoir Dogs. This doesn't sound like that Bare Naked Ladies song. The, the one song from the Bare Naked Ladies, <laughs> I know. So, yeah. 
an icon like Tom Jones can get together with a one-hit wonder like the Naked Ladies and actually do You've just pissed off all our Canadian listeners now because they have more than one hit in Canada. Sorry, Canadians around the world, we don't know shit about the bare naked ladies. But don't they say that everyone in Canada looks like the bare naked ladies? No, but just... I looked like I did. I didn't know he was Latino. Yeah, you could just walk down the street in Canada and you might be walking past the bare naked ladies and you would never know. Another person that's no longer with us, unfortunately, but has that not same sort of. No, not with me. I said, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, the one who isn't with us is the one, Mr. Johnny Cash, the man in black himself. Johnny Cash from 50s and 60s was kind of that original alternate country sort of, the wild man of country, I guess. Yep. He was famous for being on drugs for a long time. Flipping and, the bird to the establishment. And, you know, doing the prison tour in Folsom Prison and hiding himself away in a cave for a few days to get his head together at one stage of his career. And he was the wild man of country. He then found religion, he got married, he cleaned up his act. But then he decided to team up with Rick Rubin, who was quite a famous producer who produced the Beastie Boys, amongst other people. And Johnny Cash decided that he needed to find a way... So he decided this? Or did Rick Rubin approach? I'm not sure whether it was a mutual agreement or whether Rick Rubin actually went to Johnny Cash and went, you know, I've got this idea. I don't know whose idea it was, but it was brilliant. And Johnny Cash released a number of albums under the title of The American. There was like American 1, American 2, up to American 6, I think they got to, which... I have a feeling American Six might have been released after Johnny Cash died. And excuse the pun, but I think it may have been a cash-in. But he did his interpretation of songs that were popular around that time. And Johnny Cash is one of the few cover artists who can really turn a song around. And make it his own. And make it his own. So if we were going to go through what our favourite covers of all time would be... I think this song, Hurt He's by Johnny Cash. Three, yeah, guarantee. It's, it's right up there. I hurt myself. Yeah, it's the cover of the Nine Inch Nails song, which, when I first heard this song, and it, I mean, there's a lot of songs that you associate with things. Yeah. This one I associate, we're big in well wrestling, and there was. Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero's clip, they did a montage clip to this song, and it was just emotional. Like, he was a very, not a broken man, but in wrestling he had his demons, and Johnny Cash had his demons. It was just all so linked and associated, and it worked so well. When I found out it was a Nine Inch Nails song, I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. It just felt, it felt like a Johnny Cash song. It felt so personal to him. And then you find out he didn't even write it, and yeah. I was like, wow, that's amazing. It blew me away, but yeah, by not knowing the original song. Yeah, and the original is so different to that. It's... Very much as a stark Nine Inch Nails song. It's one of their very slower songs. It's mm. not upbeat, like closer or anything like that. And Johnny Cash's version is actually even a little bit faster than Trent Reznor's original. But again, it's like if you never knew that it was a Nine Inch Nails song, you would just swear that that was Johnny Cash's song. And yeah, and hearing the Nine Inch Nails version after Johnny Cash, it just sounds wrong it's kind of like, to me. Yeah, why are Nine Inch Nails covering this Johnny Cash song? Yeah, and to me, but it, yeah, that's just an amazing song for so many on so many levels. I mean, he did other great covers of Nick Cave. He did this version of the U2 song One. Almost makes it listenable. I'm really coming across as a U2 hater. <laughs> well, a lot of people liked U2, and then they kind of. I liked them up until about... Joshua Tree. Yeah. Or Redland Hum, I think. No, I I didn't like Redland Hum. Yeah, that's when I turned. And again, just the way Johnny Cash's voice comes across, you would just swear this was his song. 
He's got emotion. He brings in something. Whereas Bono doesn't have emotion. Oh, he does. He did. Well, yeah, but that emotion's not. You know, this is my song. His emotion is, look at all the money I'm earning. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's a good singer, Bono. I'll give him that. Yeah. Now, this is Johnny Cash's take on Rusty Cage, which is a sound guy. Okay, I don't know the original song. If I heard this, it just sounds... And again, it's... The Soundgarden's famous for their swirly electric guitars, whereas Johnny Cash has done this on an acoustic guitar. And it just sounds like a country song. Like his version of... Uh, uh, this player. <laughs> it's hard to think of a song where there's another song. Yes. Wow. But the Nick Cave's... Um, Mercy Seat. Mercy Seat is fantastic, but they're actually quite similar yeah. in the way they sing and the way they bring it across. Soul Tree Man. A bit of Neil Diamond. No. Yeah, it was Neil Diamond. That's awesome. Two icons together. And again, he really puts the emotion into this song. Like, when Neil Diamond did it, it was quite an emotional song. But yeah, because there's a person like Marilyn Manson, who he de- definitely, those other ones that he did, and they very much, he turned them into Marilyn Manson songs. Maybe they just didn't appeal to me. Maybe it's just a different audience who tapped into that. And I'm not a massive country western fan, and I don't know if... Johnny Cash transcends country and western? Well, I, I kind of think it does. Like, I grew up, my dad was a little bit of a country fan when we were kids. And I can remember listening to, like, A Boy Named Sue and Folsom Prison Blues and stuff like that and thinking, oh, yeah, this is all right. Like, I don't think I heard Cocaine Blues until I was much older. And then I heard that and I was like, my God, songs like this about, you know, taking a shot of cocaine and going to shooting your wife. And it's kind of like, here's Johnny Cash, and now he's doing these covers. Those American albums, as we've got Hurt, we've got one, Rusty Cage on here, Mercy Seat, the Nick Cave song. He also does other covers on there of, like, other country songs. But again, he gives them his own feel. Mm. And he truly was one of those people that could just take a song, and no matter what it was, he could make it his own. Johnny Cash definitely deserves... I think he goes into the Massive Attack... Covers Hall of Fame. Yeah, definitely. He is the inaugural inductor. I don't know how big this hall is going to be. <laughs> or well visited. But hey, we'll start now. Yeah. As I said, Johnny Cash had a tendency to take the, the popular song and kind of countryfy it. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let, well uh, you've called this gender benders, and that's, yes. I think, the best, I good, a good way to... Gender benders. I called it genre benders. Oh, oh, oh I like gender benders. Oh. <laughs> I know you like gender benders, <laughs> This would be genre benders. Oh, fair enough. So we talk about genre benders in a way that it would be someone who takes a style of song and completely turns it on his head. Yeah, Donny Cash did that. Marilyn Manson did it to a percent. Limp Biscuit did it by, you know, eating it and shitting it out. Yeah. Uh, but there's some, some very unique takes out there that were quite successful for a few bands. And we're, we're kind of one of those crossroads here because this is a song that I know you quite like, and I, I have one it is. I'm looking very to strange feelings about this song. This would be Devo and their take of the Rolling Stones classic Satisfaction. The reason I like it is it's it's different. I mean, they have taken a Stones song and it's not recognisable. And they, this was their intention. It was very much an intended thing. It wasn't 
wasn't marketing, it wasn't there to make money. I'm sure they, they were popular at the time, they were big. But it so was like, we can do a cover, we can do a Stones song, but we can make it a Devo song. Was this from a movie? I think it's been used in movies, yeah. but I don't think it was for a film. So that's where I think they've t- they've taken the challenge of like, all right, what is the most, you know, an iconic band, and we will take an iconic song, and Satisfaction is a pretty fucking iconic song. Yeah. And we're going to make that a Devo song. And I reckon exactly. if you give someone the challenge to say, you cannot cover Satisfaction and make it sound like something else. Yeah. And they did. And it's kind of funky. It's kind of cool. It's pretty dated now. It's very Devo, isn't it? But it's Devo. And it's like, well, well done. Now, one of the other genre benders, and again, this is not necessarily a genre bender as far as the song goes, it's but not it's what more you'd of... expect out of the band. Yeah. Well, one of my favourite bands, if not my favourite band is Faith No More and they had a big hit with Easy which is a Commodore song which is freaking Lionel Richie and they got to the top of the Australian charts with a Lionel Richie song which you know is very much Faith No More it's an awesome song and no dissing Lionel Richie it's just not what you expect a band like Faith No More the guys who did Epic to do Easy but it's a great song but they've got a couple of other covers they've done War Pigs and a few others like that on their album. War Pigs I guess was still quite heavy though wasn't it it was it was still in the genre of what originally because it was off their early albums but they just they did experiment a lot more as they went on with their albums and one of the b-sides was i started a joke by the bgs which is just it's a great song to start with bgs are good it's in that abba vein of their really good music that can get covered well and faith no more go off and do a cover for some reason and mike Patton's vocals are matured to a point where it's just it's a fantastic song again you got to like the original i think first and you got to like faith no more but it's not a bad song, and I think it's a great cover. I think it's a very good cover. And I guess he has a very unmistakable voice, but you wouldn't necessarily think straight away listening to this that it was Faith No More. No. I just want to listen to it now. And the thing is, you listen to the guy, like the Real Thing album. Yeah. His maturity from his voice from that. That was screechy, whiny vocals. You didn't even get to the high bit. Oh, well. You'll all have to track that down, people. Yes. I, I definitely say that's one of the ones that I would say, go and look it up, because that song is worth the listen. So another genre bender, as opposed to gender benders, that's Rich's <laughs> favourite, but a genre bender that comes to mind, most people of a certain age would know Gloria Gain as I, I Will Survive. It's a disco classic. It's one of the few disco songs that you would say would be a disco classic. Yep, holds up today. And then Alternative Rockers, Cake, did quite a good version of it. It Very much, again, a Cake interpretation of it. I mean, you hear it and you think, that's Cake. There is no question about it. Yeah. And you could not say, oh, that's a derivative of a disco song. You wouldn't think that. Exactly, they've, they've slowed it down, they've made it their own. It's very cake. If you're a fan of cake, you're going to love it. Like, I'm a big fan of cake. I, 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 <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I like carrot cake. No, um, so I, I, I like a lot of their stuff. And this came out quite early in their, their career as well. It was like, I think on the same album that The Distance was on, which was their first big hit here in Australia. So, again, they're, they're a band that took on a cover quite early in their career and made it their own. Now, we're talking about covers that were made for movies. Yes, this is 
This was a huge hit coming out of a surprise blockbuster movie that sort of was under the radar indie film called Donnie Darko. And sort of the requiem in the movie, the climactic scene, had this very different take of the Tears for Fears classic Mad World. Mad World. Gary Jules brought out this slow, melodic, almost ghostly version that just really tapped into the film. It was a beautiful version for the movie and it tied in well with the visuals and just seemed to tap into the zeitgeist of the time of the people that just yeah. really, really loved it. I know I put together a Fringe Festival show around that time <laughs> and I had to do a montage for a video um, bit a, for it. A sad walking away a, clip. A sad clip. And I used this beautifully and it, the song does half the work. Like, it didn't matter what the visuals was. You put this over the top and you just evoked that much emotion with the visuals. It was amazing. In a way, though, I think this song now has been overdone a little bit like they use it for a lot of things like I did <laughs> yeah but, but they use it now like they, it's even in Gears of War 3 oh, like no true. spoilers we won't say which bit but it's in quite a pivotal bit of Gears of War 3 and they actually use that song and it's kind of like well, it's, I think it's emotional shorthand yeah it's like it is. oh the content doesn't have to do it the music will do all the work for you now before Gary Jules slowed down Mad World, back in the 80s, there was an English band by the name of Frasier Chorus. That's probably not a name that many people will know. When I was young and impressionable and buying albums all the time, I remember walking into a record store once and seeing this in a bargain A record bin. store? A record store. Buying vinyl. Buying vinyl. I bought this on 7-inch vinyl. I knew nothing of the band. However, I saw the cover and I saw that it had Anarchy in the UK written on the cover. I thought to myself, I like the Sex Pistols. I like Anarchy in the UK. Surely this would be a good song. But then I got home, I put this on my record player, and I was greeted with this. When's it kick in? Well, it doesn't. Oh. <laughs> Imagine three and a half minutes of lip dick Frasier chorus doing an almost a cappella version of Anarchy in the UK with gongs and bongs and you name it in the background. Is that sort of a fight back of Sid Vicious's version of My Way or something? I don't know. but So do you know anything else about Fraser Chorus? No, because pretty much I got home, listened to it once, and then that record never went anywhere near my record player ever again. Hmm. Yeah. And to take you on that same line of hating music, this last one is Crimes Against Music. Well, it is Crimes Against Music, because a punk band can quite easily do a cover of a non-punk song, and punk fans would still get into it, because it still has balls. Now, this version of Blitzkrieg Bop by Jason Moranz has totally ripped the balls off this Ramones song. And really, there's no excuse for this. They're forming in a straight line They're going through a Why would you bother? I don't know. Like... He did this as part of one of those like songwriter collections for VH1 or MTV or something where it was just him sitting down talking about songs that meant something to him when he was a kid. Obviously it meant a lot to him if he's going to do that to us. Well, yeah. You'd want to hope it meant a lot to him because he's ruined it for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jason Moranz, you're on our needs a kick in the balls list as well because really there's no excuse for that. Okay, let's just get away from that. That, yeah. that was bad. Let's I, I move think into... we need something with a bit of, a bit more tempo. A bit more tempo? Something a bit more fun. A bit of fun, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, like I said before, ABBA wrote great pop songs. They did. Fantastic pop songs. And they have been covered, I mean, there's a metal cover 
album. There's, there's a whole concept album of metal bands doing cover um, ABBA covers. Yeah. Now, the fact that metal treat them with enough respect as songwriters, it shows how good songwriters they are. So there's plenty of covers of ABBA songs out there. Why? Because they're good and they're easy. And you've got a guaranteed hit on your hands if you do it well, because it's not hard. It is, you can fuck it up. Yeah, but if you do it right, you're hitting some gold. And there is a band out there who are a lot of fun. They Erasure, are. yes. And which one have we got? They did a whole concept album, didn't well, they? Well, they did. Well, they did an EP called Aberesque, where they took their favourite four Abba songs, I think it was, and they released them. However, this would be the standout. This is Take a Chance on Me. And not only did they do a cover of the song. If you dig this video up, go and check out YouTube. They kind of did a cover of the They did a cover of the video clip as well. With them playing all the roles. Yeah. So just imagine two dudes dressed as the two girls as ABBA doing the back-to-back dancing with the high heels and big blonde wigs and stuff. I mean, it does reek of 90s pop. It does. But again, that taps right into our wheelhouse of exactly. music that we like. And this probably got a, a spin-up in Sydney last weekend because it was Mardi Gras. Oh, dear, so, <laughs> so, yes. Gay icons Eurasia doing gay icons ABBA. It just reeks of money, doesn't it? Now, this is again, this is one of your picks. Now, I discovered Sue George on the uh, the movie um, The Life Aquatic with Steve Wiseau. It's a Wes Anderson film. They're quite quirky and weird. But this guy, Sue George, is this... French guy who's Brazilian, sings, Brazilian. Singing, in singing in Portuguese. Uh, there you go. Um, and he sings covers. The odd, he does his own songs as well. But this is Starman by Bowie. And he does Life on Mars and a few other songs by Bowie. And they just, again, just a different, very different take on some classic songs. Yeah. Well, I knew nothing about Sue George until you mentioned him when we were looking at the research behind this, this month's episode. Yeah, doing a little bit of digging. He actually did a couple of the songs for Life Aquatic on the soundtrack for the movie, and then he decided that he would do a whole album of Bowie interpretations sung in Portuguese following the success of that movie. And he's actually one of the highest-selling Brazilian artists in Brazil. But That's actually sounds like lucrative yeah <laughs> considering it's a big market yeah so yeah it's interesting that you can take something again as iconic as david bowie and do a whole album of bowie sung in portuguese and apparently david bowie himself really liked it so that's because bowie's cool yeah and he respects it so good on you sue george and well done now this is quite a famous cover that came out Mike Flowers Pops bought out his version of Wonderwall, which was a loungy version of Wonderwall at the height of the Oasis craze. Yeah, and I think you probably need to take this with a little bit of a pinch of salt. That it was Mike, Mike Flowers Pops decided that he should do sort of swinging 60s versions of songs. But I, I think he does Wonderwall pretty well. It's a great version. I mean, again, Wonderwall. Good song to work with. Very basic song to work with. And speaking of people that do lounge versions, Richard Cheese, I guess, has made his whole career doing... He's like the anti-Me First and the Gimme Gimme. Yeah. Where he takes metal songs and turns them into lounge covers. Well, not just... He does dance songs as well, but popular songs, but he turns them into lounge versions. And awesome band. I actually managed to catch them live when I was in San Diego a couple of years ago. And the band is tight. He's a great singer with an awesome sense of humour. So that's his version of Metallica. And he's got albums galore out there with some very, very 
fun takes on on very popular songs. I guess now covers don't necessarily just have to be of a song. Most people of our demographic, I guess, would understand the original Spider-Man cartoon show from the 60s. Well, that, I mean, this is an iconic song that most people know if they know the singles. Now, admittedly, anyone under the age of probably 30 may not have heard the original Spider-Man thing. But the 60s cartoon has... It's a very psycho 60s sort of feel and vibe to it, but it, it's just cool. Now, over the years, a lot of people have taken that tune and made it their own. Now, the Ramones being one. Now, the Ramones originally recorded this for a bonus track on one of their LPs. And then, quite a few years later, they decided that they would put this on a compilation that was modern bands doing covers of cartoon songs. So yeah, the Ramones did quite a good version. That's a really cool version of a really classic song. But then... This Chatney, <laughs> when they made the Spider-Man movie back in 2000, it's like, oh, they're going to do a new version of the song. That'd be great. They got Aerosmith to do it. And... It's interesting. Like, I hadn't really... When I first heard it, I just shit-canned it straight away and never thought about it again. So I thought I wanted to add it here for being an arsehat of a song. It's not terrible, but it's, it's just not innovative. It's not nothing. Taking such a classic song and turning it into a generic metal-y song. It yeah. was nothing. Or hard rock song. And then Apollo 440, who are a dance act, had their take on it. I don't know if you can get the bass quite enough through no. this recording, but it's it's a kind of funky, late 90s, dancey sort of track. That's really cool. Yeah, and Apollo 440 did the theme song for Lost in Space as well and gave that a bit of a a funky dance up as well. But then, Spider-Man 3. Michael Bublé gave it a go. Now, it's not a bad version. And it it does kind of fit in with that emo Peter Parker section of the movie. But, I mean, there's four very different versions of of a classic, iconic song. And he's, I doubt they'll be touching it with a, with a new movie coming out soon. I doubt they'll probably just move away from that altogether. Considering the other movies have done it. Yeah. They're probably trying to distance themselves from those other movies at all. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. I mean, Banana Splits have an iconic song as well. And bands like the Dickies have debt and Shonen Knife, I think, have done yeah, versions. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so, I mean, there are sort of those sort of things. I mean, Archie's songs and the Josie and the Pussycats. The Pussycats. Those sort of songs have been translated over to pop bands and things yeah. like that. So they're covers, in a way, and it's all nostalgia. And, yeah, I mean, Aerosmith show that, you know, you're not that good sometimes. Now, speaking of not that good, <laughs> we'll give you a bit of a warning. The next few songs we're going to play... You may want to let small children leave the room. This could scar them for life. Well, I'd say probably move the small children away because some of these songs just make you want to punch people. Because <laughs> we're now up to the section of why the fuck did they record these songs? Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> now, this is insulting. I, I said before I was a Queen fan. Now, I think the recording quality of this is shit. Or but, no. I think the actual record is shit. I think, I think it's the song, actually. Yes, this was actually for a movie again for High School High. I think it was. And... One genre of music I hated in the 90s was this. The slowed down, sort of slightly dancey, but not... Crap, and we'll get to another one later, but this genre of the 
melodic crap. <laughs> but this is Queen. This is Bohemian Rhapsody, a classic. Yes. Of all time, Kanye. Of all time. <laughs> and and just to do that to it. And it doesn't kick in. It's not like no. the other Bohemian Rhapsody. That's what it's like the whole freaking time. Yes. And it's just like, you are, they should not be allowed to do that. Well, the there should be laws. The line of the song is, I wish I'd never been born at all. Mm. And I'll go on record and say, I wish the braids had never been born at <laughs> That's all. That's just offensive. Now, to go on that same style of music, this was a massive hit. Now, I'm a Burt Bacharach fan, a huge Burt Bacharach fan, and Dion Warwick can sing the hell out of his songs, and there's a lot of people can do a lot of things with Burt Bacharach songs. Unfortunately, someone did this, and it's everywhere. This would probably be the most successful shit cover ever made. I think so. Fuck you, food. <laughs> and Lauren Hill went on to do solo shit covers after oh, this as well. Fucking just insulting. It's just the fact that it was so popular. Like, there's a lot of bad covers that we can play and we have played that are gone. But this was just everywhere. It was in commercials. You watch any sort of talent show, like Australian Idol or whatever. This is a song they pull out because it's fucking easy for them to do. And it's just... Ah! Uh, yeah. it, it, it just it makes you angry, me. doesn't it? Oh, I just fucking hate it. <laughs> I'm sure like, I guess they can sing. It's well, just such a dirge of a fucking song. And but it, then, they're singing like it's important when it isn't. Wycliffe Jean left the Fugees and went on to do that very bad version of The Gambler, the Kenny Rogers oh song. God. Thankfully, I couldn't find that to put it in here. <laughs> that's a, that's so a good thing for everyone else. Jump on YouTube and see if you can find it. Good luck to you. All right. So, but, so George Michael was upset that Limp Bizkit covered his faith. Is that right? I think so. So he went out and goes, well, I'm going to fuck someone else's song. Is I that, think that's exactly that what, what he did. Okay. As, as we've talked about before, we were teenagers in the 80s. We were clubbing in the 90s. We were big fans of New Order. They had some pretty iconic dancey songs. They were upbeat, fast tempo, got the crowd moving. And then... George thinks, I oh, know, this needs a change. <laughs> yes. And this is quite a fairly recent song by George Michael as well. Because he's jumped on the auto-tune bandwagon as well, which is another thing that really shits me about modern music. So this would be George Michael's interpretation of True Faith. There is really no excuse for this. Created so many iconic songs of your own, and, and people do this to a song. It's just like, no, why bother? You're not even trying. Like people have covered George Michael songs, like Limp Bizkit did a bad version. Robbie Williams did a great version of of Freedom. He did. And other people have done George Michael. A lot of people. <laughs> other, I'll just refresh. <laughs> other people have done George Michael songs and done them quite well. And then George went out, yeah, as we yeah. said. You've got talent, boy. Now, this is just interesting. Now, I mean, you've got the 2000s. Spice Girls bred a whole slew of manufactured pop acts. Yeah. And from that, Disney manufactured their own pop acts. So you've got your Hannah Montana, Selena Gomez's now. But probably the... I mean, they did it way back in the days with the Fronticello, but they've been doing it forever. But the sort of the new wave with your Lindsay Lowens and stuff, but probably the originator of that was your Hilary Duff. Yep. And yeah, she sort of, you know, recording some songs, had some poppy sort of stuff to get to the kids. She wanted to go a bit rock hard. She wanted to rock hard a little bit when she came out. And uh, unfortunately, this is what she did. Now, we're not going to say what this is because... It might take you a little while to realise what she's actually killing here. 
Now this is a weird take. Like it's, I don't think she's chosen this. I don't no. think she would have known the original. So some someone in corporate or marketing has gone and put these two things together, got session musicians in, and made this happen. Why? How? Who knows? Might be from a movie, probably know, but it's just it's wrong, <laughs> is what it is. And if the Who were dead, they'd be rolling in their graves. <laughs> Instead, they're just cashing in on the money from Disney. Yes. Now, we talked about people that had iconic songs and iconic artists. Madonna would be one of those people that is an icon in music history. Very much so. You don't see a lot of Madonna covers, though. True. I don't know if that is because... She doesn't let go. Yeah. But Maybe. Madonna is quite famous for doing a cover herself. Yes, there's a lot of lists out there of good and bad covers, and she's up there a lot in the top for yes. bad. Unfortunately for Madge... Her American Pie cover. Why is she saying this? Now, do you need to have a bit of a confession now, Joe? <laughs> I actually don't mind this song. <laughs> you didn't a couple. You didn't well, like it a couple of weeks. I ago. didn't like it, and then I listened to it a few times while I was working out to uh, editing these clips for the podcast. And after listening to it a couple of times, I actually sat there and thought, "This isn't that bad." <laughs> I mean, there are worse. <laughs> I think we're getting to that. <laughs> there are a lot worse. Now, now this is it. Now, I didn't know this existed until I did research. <laughs> when I found out it did exist, I had to find out. And this is <laughs> Old Dirty Bastard and Macy Gray singing Don't Go Breaking My Heart. I hope it's a joke. But after listening to some other Old Dirty Bastard songs, I don't think it is a joke. I think, I think it was basically Macy Gray and Old Dirty Bastard got together in a studio and decided to have a competition to see who could smoke the most crack. <laughs> God rest his soul, Old Dirty Bastard. And somehow put that song together. And it got out there in the world. Yes. I was like, mm-hmm. Terrible. I don't think that song was released. I think it escaped. <laughs> yes. Now, the last one. Now, this is, again, it's that late 90s, early 2000s, Spice Girls-inspired all-girl pop groups. And to sort of break into the market, unless you had that kick-ass song, they'd go out with covers. And they exactly. go out with all these acoustic-y versions or whatever. And one of them is this by All Saints. All Saints. Yes. Red Hot Chili Peppers obviously signed off on this and let someone cover it. Did they need the money? Probably not. And now this is probably their big big song that really broke the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. It was, you know, a million seller for them. And, I don't know, it's like, I don't know how covers work. I don't know if you have to listen to the song before you're happy to release it, but if they've agreed to let them record that and then they've done that to it, they should be ashamed of themselves. Yes. yes. I mean, well, I suppose they broke it with higher ground with... And, Stevie Wonder. and if you're a big yeah. Stevie Wonder fan and you heard this bloody proto-punk group doing higher ground, you'd probably be offended by that. So maybe they're just paying it forward and saying, well, we're allowed. <laughs> someone else can go and do something with it. Let, yeah. let someone else have a chance. So good on you, Flea and Anthony. Well done. I wish you hadn't, <laughs> but you're at least doing the right thing by other people. Now, we've had the bad. We've had the 
just plain bizarre in ODB <laughs> and Macy Gray. So now we've got some of the ones that we think really deserve to be mentioned by an artist who's had a bit of a checkered past. I think he's an artiste. I yes. think he's multi-dimensional. Yeah. He's, he's done... Acting. Acting. Directing. Directing. And he wrote some novels. He did. <laughs> and also tried his hand at singing. He did a very bad version of Rocket Man. He did quite a bad version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. But then but, he got together with Ben Folds and he released this. Now we're obviously talking about William so Shatner. And this is his version of Common People, the pop song. Mm. And like Johnny Cash, he has turned this into his own song. And Ben Folds has managed to get one of his you know, pop heroes in Joe Jackson to play the piano on this song and sing the chorus. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is about this song, but William Shatner just really made this his own. Now this is a next song is a well I don't know who's the original it's a gospel song I assume or a, um, a Len- hymn. Leonard Cohen I guess is probably the one that's famous for it. And then it's been done a few times. I Leonard Cohen with Katie Lang, Katie I think Lang did a version of it. Jeff Buckley's done a version of it. Damien Leith on Australian <laughs> Idol did a version of yeah, it. So it's not uncommon for people to do a version of this song, but this is the Rufus Wainwright version, which I really like. And this is from the Shrek soundtrack. Naturally. Yeah. It's in that scene where Shrek's all upset that Fiona's left him. And it just kind of works. But it's just a great song to start with. So yeah. as long as you like that voice singing it and the arrangement, you're going to like the version. Now, this is one of the songs that divides a lot of people because there are some people that really don't like Rufus's version of Hallelujah. I don't know why. I, I can't see anything offensive about it. It's just a yeah. good song. I, you can, I can understand people not liking his voice. Yeah. And we're just coming up to a close, are we now? Is we are. And... It's, it's kind of fitting that we finish up with an Australian band. Yes. And they're sort of a... They've got their fair share of covers. Yeah. And, they, and again, they sort of... I mean, they're not as iconic as a Johnny Cash saying, oh, we're going to make it my, our own. They are true to the original, and they also sound like themselves. They it's, do. It's, I mean, they're a fun band to start with. We're talking about Spiderbait. So with Spiderbait, they've, they've got a few covers that they've done. They have. So they did Run, which is based on you know the, the Goodies, goodies song. song, which is great, and their little version. They did Black Betty, yeah. which... I think it got overplayed a bit, to be yeah. honest. It sort of got a bit annoying because it was just everywhere for a long time. Yeah. They did their version of Alex the Sealed. Al- well, Alex the Alex Sealed. Alex the Seal. From the Go-Go's, again. And sort of like really good versions that sound like Spider-Bait, true to the original, and fun. And they really funky and high energy, high upbeat and really good. But one thing that I do, I do love, and we're about to play this now, Ghost Riders in the Sky, which is probably the best thing about the Ghost Rider movie. Yeah. This one scene in the movie with this playing over the top of it is fantastic. So it's all sort of full circle. Johnny Cash doing covers, people covering Johnny Cash. It's very cyclical, like we were saying a few times earlier today. Yeah. No, I haven't seen the Ghost Rider movie. You're lucky. Yeah. But... I can imagine that, you know, seeing Nicolas Cage on a motorbike with his head on fire to this music might be pretty good. 
To me, though, every time I hear Ghost Riders in the sky, it just makes me think of the Blues Brothers. But yeah, the spider bait. I guess they're an honourable mention for repeat winners. And that comes to the end of our list of good, bad... Our long list of covers. Now, this is, you know, by no means a definitive list. I'm sure there are people yelling at whatever device they're listening to this on, saying, you didn't mention this. How dare you not mention this cover and this and that. It's a very personal list to us, and it's very dictated by our age. Yes. and our time and our influences so we look forward to hearing any feedback from you guys on what we have missed the, how did, how dare you not mention this cover how, how did you not know this and I'm sure we got a lot of facts wrong too so please if, if uh, we didn't get facts wrong I'd be a bit upset yes please I hope you enjoyed the episode and please send us feedback on what we forgot what we didn't what you enjoyed, what you agreed with, or most more probably more the point what you didn't agree with, because I'm sure you had a lot of differing opinions. All those ODB Macy Gray fans are probably very angry at us right now. Yeah, so if you want to send us feedback, you can send it to us on our Gmail, which is themapodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, at themapodcast on Twitter. You can find us on iTunes, just search for the Massive Attack Podcast, or just go to themapodcast.podbean.com. Leave us some email, tell us what your favourite cover is, tell us some covers that you really hate, and we'll thanks for listening. We'll discuss it next episode. Thanks a lot. All right, bye-bye. See you later.